You're listening to the Caroline Springs Anglican Podcast. It's great to, great to be with you on this Father's Day. If you're a daddy, happy Father's Day. It's a great day. Great day to be alive. Remember the great gift that it is to be a father. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about that and most of all about how God is a good father to us as we take a look at this passage. Um, I was greatly helped by my wife this past week because I was coming up with nothing when I was looking at this uh, passage, this genealogy. I was tempted just to kind of go to the next part of the text, but um, speaking with Renee, she pointed out a whole lot of good stuff to me that we can talk about tonight, so I trust it'll be a blessing to you. One of the great things about my relationship with Renee is that she is good at all the things I'm not good at. Um, we call that being in a, a, a complementary relationship. Um, so there seems to be a lot of confusion today about what maleness and femaleness is. Uh, you guys picking up on that? There's a whole lot of confusion, but uh, Christians have always believed that God uh, made man and made woman, and he made them to be complementary. He made them to work together, uh, particularly in the marriage relationship. And so um, where I'm weak, Renee is strong. One of the things she's strong at is um, details and being conscientious and meticulous. Uh, I was telling the guys this morning, I remember this past week, we, um, in our marriage preparation, we did the prepare course. I don't know if you know this course. It's it's basically a, like a, a data-based way of um, getting you prepared to get married. And so you, you fill out, it seems like, thousands of questions. Um, we did it with paper and pen. I think you just do it online now. But it was like thousands, I don't know, maybe it was hundreds of questions. Um, and the idea is that you do it separately and then you cross-reference the data and you find out where you might be on a different page in certain areas of life. And I remember distinctly doing it with the pastor who was going to marry us, and I was done in minutes. Like, I just, I burned through that thing, just, and Renee was there forever, forever, like, stressing over every question, making sure she understood it correctly, and that she gave just the right amount of weight to her answer. And that's the difference between her and I. She's meticulous, and I'm not. She's details-orientated, and I'm not, and some of you guys know that and wish it wasn't the way. Uh, But it's true, and so it kind of, it shocked me this past week where I said to Renee, you know, I'm preaching on this genealogy, and she was like, oh, yeah, genealogy, huh? And she said, "Um, whenever I come to a genealogy in the Bible, I kind of just skip over it and pick up the story whenever the genealogy's finished. I was like, wow, even Renee, even Renee skips the genealogy. Um, and I know you guys do as well. And um, so what I want to do tonight is just talk about the importance of understanding why the genealogies are there in the Bible, and specifically this genealogy that we find for Moses and Aaron. So first of all, we need to understand why it's there in its original context, and then we can find out why it's good for us to know the genealogy. So in the original context, you remember Moses and Aaron have like just come out of nowhere. They've arrived in Egypt with this great message that God is going to redeem them out of the land of Egypt. But the people of Israel aren't necessarily going to embrace them as their great redeemers. Like some of them will remember that Moses was brought up in the household of Pharaoh, their sworn enemy, their oppressor. 
Uh, they might remember that he was, he's also a murderer. He, you know, he, he, he killed a guy um, in a fit of rage when he saw that, that where his people were being oppressed. And rather than seeing him as some kind of hero, they resented him for that and, and are liable to distrust him because of that. And so what the, the genealogy does, it's clearly been put into the story after the fact. So we know Moses writes the, the account of the Exodus, but this has been inserted after the fact because it mentions stuff that happens after Moses is dead, right? So it's been put in there, and it's, it's, not, it's not been put in kind of deceptively. It's clearly marked out as something that's been inserted later. And we know that because we've got these two bookends, all right? So if you take a look at the text, you'll notice, and you might have picked this up when Jimmy was reading, the first couple of verses in verse 10 to 12 um, say that uh, the Lord said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips. And then at the end of the passage, end of chapter 6, uh, verse 28 to 30, now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? And there, it's the same couple of verses, right? Slightly different wording. But it's there to tell us, the, these are the bookends to this thing that's been put in here for your benefit, so that you understand one thing. And the main thing that, that the people, uh, the original readers need to understand, and we need to understand by extension, is that Moses and Aaron are people of God. They are Israelites, true Israelites. They're part of God's family that he has called to be the redeemers of his people. They're legit, okay? So you can trust them. They really have been sent by God with a message from God. So that's why it was important for the, the people at the time to know that. I think it's important for us to know that. As well as that, there are a few things I want to highlight that are important for us to know about this genealogy and the genealogy, genealogies in general in the Scriptures. The first thing that we need to be encouraged by is that God uses broken people. So every genealogy in the Bible is just a list of broken people. Just a list of messed up people with checkered pasts. People who you would assume, if God is going to use someone, he's not going to choose them. He's going to go after the, the good people, whoever they might be. But what they reveal to us is that actually everyone has a checkered past. Everyone is broken and fractured in some way, and yet God still loves them and uses them to bring about his good purposes. So I don't know if you picked up on this little nugget when Jimmy was reading, but in verse 20 of chapter 6, it says, Amram married his father's sister, Jochebed, who bore him Aaron and Moses. So Aaron and Moses themselves were the product of a guy marrying his auntie. And the reason this should encourage us as well is because where some people might say, oh, the Bible has just been edited and redacted over the years to get rid of all the bits that, that we, we don't like, this is clearly not the case, right? If, if pe people later on wanted to get rid of something, they probably would have gotten rid of the fact that their great heroes, Moses and Aaron, were the product of an incestuous relationship. Right, This guy married his auntie, and certainly by the time this was added into the text, it was against God's law for you to marry your auntie. 
So it would have easily been whitewashed, and yet it wasn't. And I think the reason God preserved it was to tell us this fact. God uses messed up people from messed up families. He always has, and he always will, which means he will even use us in his purposes, in his plan. I was talking to a guy recently about... um, just my family, my history, and uh, he's one of the guys that we have pray for us as a family, and um, he, this couple are from England, and he's a, he's a proper, like, East End Cockney, right? So from East London, right? And, um, and so I was talking to him one, one day about my, my family history and stuff, and he just looked at me weird for a second and said, you know what, you're, you're too swarthy to be a smith. What, what, do you, what do you mean? He's like, you're too dark. You can't, you can't be a real Smith. He's, his last name is Smith. And he's like, he looks like a proper English bulldog, right? And he's like, you, you're too dark. You, something's happened in your past. Like so, someone in your family has, has had a little fling with a, with a Spaniard or something. Because that's the, you're not looking like that if you're, if you're true British stock. And um, it's probably true, you know, like... He's probably got a point. Somewhere along the line, someone met a, a, a dashing Spaniard and, um, and committed adultery or something, and, and that's, that's why I just look a bit darker than I should if I'm really a smith. And, but you see, when we, when we go back through our family histories, we don't normally come across those things. Those kind of things are rubbed out of the record because we want to preserve some kind of dignity, like our, our household is a a righteous household or whatever. Renee, actually, this past week, for the first time, found out that her uh, great-grandmother was uh, really into witchcraft and all kinds of black, dark stuff, satanic stuff, and, uh, and her grandmother sort of followed in her footsteps. It was into all kinds of seances and Ouija boards and stuff, and it was really only Renee's mum who was the first one in her family to to come to Jesus and to become a Christian. And she had never heard about that because that's the kind of thing you don't mention in polite company. But all of us, to varying degrees, carry this baggage in our lineage. All of our bloodlines are polluted by dodgy stuff. It's just the way of the world. All of us have been tainted by sin in some way. In fact, even Jesus himself had this kind of dodgy lineage. Have you ever read through the no, you didn't read it, but there's a, there's a lineage, there's a ge- ge- uh, genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 uh, for Jesus. And I've got a little, uh, little um, summary of it here. So if you read through Matthew 1, you'll see the genealogy of Jesus. And here's a few highlights. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Now, all of those names, the the ladies' names that are highlighted there, all of them uh, have their own kind of dodgy past, or at least reasons why you might think that God wouldn't want to use them. And so here we go. Tamar was widowed twice, then slept with her father-in-law and had his twins. Rahab was a prostitute. Ruth was from Moab. 
cut off from the promise of God's people. Uriah's wife committed adultery with King David to give birth to Solomon. And Mary was a teenager from a small town. And so even in Jesus' own genealogy, not only is there a really checkered past, but the Bible's very upfront about it. If there was anyone who you'd want to say, well, this is, a pure, this is a pure line, it would be for Jesus. And yet they're very upfront and honest. No, even Jesus comes from this brokenness, this family line of, of brokenness and sin. And so we should be encouraged, each one of us, who ourselves come from that kind of background, we can be used by God as well. God delights to work through broken people to bring about beautiful ends. So that's the first reason we should get into genealogy. second reason is, is to understand that we are written into this line by faith. We ourselves are written into these great genealogies that, that uh, record uh, the people who make up God's own chosen people. We've been written in by faith. So Paul gets into this, and it gets a little bit complex in, in Galatians chapter 3, but this is the point he's trying to get at. So verse 6 to 9, he says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Verse 8, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. That we who call ourselves Christians, who by faith believe in the work of Jesus on our behalf, have been written into that family. We are children of Abraham. Whether you were born a Jew or not, and I don't think anyone here was, you are a child of Abraham, and and because of that, you are a child of God, and we'll get to more about that in a little bit. But we have, by, by faith, been written in to this lineage of God's people, the people who God has chosen to bring about his plans and purposes, to bring about his great plan of redemption and restoration. So here's, here's what I want you to know. I wrote this out in full just to get it, to get it across to you. Okay, so... We need to understand that, yes, our family of origin is important. The family, your blood is important. And yes, we are commanded to honor our mother and father. That is commanded by God. It's one of the great Ten Commandments, and it was uh, re-established by Jesus himself. He got very upset with the Pharisees who were denying people the opportunity to honor that commandment. Yes, we are called to honor our father and our mother. And yes, we can be deeply affected by familial brokenness, right? There are many here tonight who are deeply affected by what has happened in the past, by the brokenness that we carry in our bloodlines. But our earthly family isn't what defines us. Our earthly family isn't what defines us. Our blessings aren't determined by our lineage. Our blessings aren't determined by our lineage. Remember verse 9, those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Our blessings that come from God aren't determined by our, our bloodlines. They're determined by our family of faith. I love this news. It's good news for people who 
who dread Father's Day because it reminds them of how inept their own fathers were. Some of us had fathers who were just the regular kind of inept. Others of us had fathers who abandoned us and our mothers. Others of us had fathers who stuck around, but they abused us. I don't know if you've got much of an inside line on this, but I do as someone who does a lot of pastoral care. I know that there are many in our church who were sexually, physically, emotionally abused by their fathers. This is good news for those of us who have experienced that in in any form. Because it says that that relationship is not the most important relationship that we have. I know that we live in a context in Australia where where family is kind of held up as the most important thing. If you asked a bunch of people out there tonight, what's the most important thing to you? They'd probably say family. Family is what we cherish above all things. But actually for the Christian, that's not the case. Family is, yes, important. Yes, we are called to honor our family, but it's not the most important thing about us and it does not define us. I love what Jesus said about this. He really, he really re, um, recast this whole thing for us. In Matthew, in Matthew 12, there's this incident. While Jesus was talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus says the the essence of your family is defined by those who, like you, are disciples of Jesus. So yes, we're to honor our mother and father, but Jesus says again elsewhere, he says, Anyone who leaves father and mother and brother and sister for my sake will receive a hundredfold fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters in this life and in the life to come. It's your spiritual family that God has given you as the greatest blessing. And for some of us to know that we are not abandoned to our broken families, but rather we're given new spiritual families is a great encouragement to us. So it's important that we get our heads around this because we need to know that God uses broken people, broken family lines, just like yours and mine. We need to know that we are written into God's family by faith, and we need to know that all of this proves that God can and will use us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I think one of the most beautiful, if not for me, the most beautiful doctrine in the Christian faith is the doctrine of adoption, that God the Father has adopted us as his children into his household, that we're not just beggars standing at the door hoping for a crumb from his table, but we're actually sons and daughters who've been welcomed into his household, that, it, that we're cherished and loved and cared for a perfect by a perfect heavenly father. And so Paul talks about this a lot in Romans chapter 8, and I love the way he talks about it. He says, Romans 8, 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. There is a lot there that the Spirit is doing in the heart of every believer. So if you're a believer here tonight, I want you to get your head around all of this. This is vital if you're going to live out of this truth. Claim these truths for yourself. We need to know what the Spirit's doing here. So first of all, it's the Spirit who is working out our adoption. So the second part of verse 15, he says, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Here's the reason that we're able to call out, Father, Daddy. We're able to have that intimate relationship with him in his household as his children. That's all done by the power of the Spirit. He brought about our adoption to sonship. And it's by him that we have access to the Father. He's also the one that leads us. So verse 14, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. That it's not just that God has saved us and adopted us, but he walks with us daily by his Spirit. He leads us daily by his Spirit. And what he wants to do for you tonight is to lead you into a depth of relationship with him so that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are his child. You are dearly Loved. He adopts us. He leads us. He also overcomes our fears. So the first part of verse 15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption. So he contrasts this. There are those who are adopted by God and then there are those who fear. And the fear I think he's talking about here is the fear of judgment, the fear of death. There's a very accomplished atheist philosopher, a Frenchman named Luc Ferry, and he says every major movement of human history, every major religion and philosophy is seeking to answer the question, how do I avoid death? How do I avoid judgment? That's what drives us at a very deep level. We, in some sense, have this, we have this sense that, that one day we will be judged and we're trying to figure out how do we get saved from that. And Paul says, the reason that you should be not fearful of that day is because you have been adopted. Those who have been adopted by God do not need to fear his judgment, his condemnation. Because those who have been brought into God's household are never going to be judged in condemnation. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, he says in this chapter. No condemnation. Because all of that condemnation that you do deserve has been poured out on God's own son. And by doing that, he's able to adopt you as his son, as his daughter. So Jesus, your brother, has taken your condemnation upon himself. Therefore, the Spirit overcomes our fears by reminding us of that fact that we've been adopted. And he also says the Spirit confirms our adoption. So he knows we're prone to doubt this. We know our hearts. We know how messed up we are. 
So we're prone to doubt that we are safe from God's judgment and condemnation. We're prone to doubt that we really are children in his household and not just slaves outside somewhere. And so he says in verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And, and it's, right, it's present, active. We are God's children. Not future, like we will be one day after we've been judged. We will be one day when we, we clean ourselves up a bit, when we overcome some of the baggage in our lineage. And he says, we are, you have been made God's children. It wasn't done on your own, on, because of your own efforts. It was done because of the adopting compassion of God. That's one of the great roles of the Spirit is to testify. That is to speak. Speak to our spirit and tell us we are God's children. He adopts us. He overcomes our fears. He leads us. He confirms our adoption. And all of this means that we are co-heirs with Christ and that there's a chance that you've never come to this realization before, but this is an astonishing truth. Verse 17, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. It almost seems a little bit blasphemous that Paul would say that we are in some sense on the level with Jesus, but that's exactly what he's saying. In this sense, we are co-heirs with Christ. He says, if we share any sufferings, that is, if we persevere in faith, we are co-heirs with him. That is, everything that is Jesus's, everything that Jesus has, is ours. That's astonishing. Because, to be honest, I would be happy just to be a slave in God's household. I really would. That's more than I deserve. But Paul says, no, because you've been adopted You're not just a slave, you're a son. And because you're a son, you're a co-heir with the son. Everything due to him is given to you. So if you were hanging out with me today at lunch, you might have been a little bit confused because you would have seen me and my wife and my kids my older brother and his family and my younger brother and my dad all looking just as kind of swarthy as each other. Apart from Frenet, she, she looks like she's a legit Brit. I, you know, I, there, was no, there was no Spanish dalliance in her background. You would have seen kind of all looking the same and then you would have seen another figure at the table and you would have been kind of taken aback because you would have recognized that she's Asian. An Asian doing here. She hasn't been married into the family. She's sitting there as one of the family. And after a while, you would have learned that actually she's my sister. So I have an older brother, a younger brother, and I also have a younger sister, and she is Asian in appearance. She was born in South Korea, in Seoul. We have no idea what happened to her parents. She was an orphan. And when she was five months old, my parents picked her up and brought her back here. And for the last 30 years, she's been living in our household. She's been adopted. And so as we sit at the table and share food together, she has every right to take the chorizo as I do. Right, chorizo, maybe there is a bit of Spanish in there. (laughs) She has every right to be at the table, just as much a right as I do or any of my children do. 
And, in fact, when my dad finally carks it, she'll have every right to just as much as what I have a right to in the inheritance. She has legally every right to everything that I have. And no, at no point in my entire existence have I ever doubted that she is every bit part of the family as I am. That's the power of adoption. It's a powerful thing. And if it's powerful in the earthly sense, then how much more powerful it is in the heavenly sense that God himself has adopted us, has made us his children. And then how much of an insult would it be to God if we shied away from that truth, if we played it down, if she was to all of a sudden act the the role of the housekeeper rather than the sister. It would be an offense and so we, we really need to get this, and not only to get it, I mean, I get it, I understand the doctrine, but very often I don't live it. We must live out of this great, astonishing, cataclysmic truth. God has made us his children. And so everyone here, irrespective of what your upbringing was like, is a child of a perfect, heavenly Father. Our Father loves to hear from us, and by the Spirit, through our adoption, we cry, Abba, Father, in prayer to him. Let me pray for us now. Father, just overwhelmed by a sense of great love from you towards us. You love us more than we could ever fathom or understand. I'm just really aware that because of our brokenness, we doubt that you would find us to be lovely. And yet you do. You love us with an everlasting love, an unconditional love. And in all of the ways that our earthly fathers have failed, you have remained faithful never abandoned us and you never will. And you've made us sons and daughters. You've welcomed us into your household. You've written us into the line of your people. And you've made us co-heirs with your one and only son. And so I pray now that you would overwhelm us with a great sense of gratitude and love. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to die so that our sins might be taken upon yourself, so that the way would be clear for us to be made sons and daughters of the Most High God. We praise you. We thank you. I pray that tonight that sense of, that overwhelming sense of love would be renewed in us. Those of us who have perhaps become a little bit cold towards you, perhaps we've forgotten what it is to be nourished and nurtured and cherished. Lord, please renew that in us. Even now as we stand and sing your praises, I pray that you would stir up godly affections. Lord, that we would remember what it's like to be the the little children of a loving father. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen.